Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, and I'm really excited to be coming to you this week because I'm joined by executive producer Michael O'Neill, who is usually running the, the board exclusively and running the the technology associated with it. But this time, he and I are going to together be breaking down the midterm elections. want to encourage you to share this with your friends or your own pages or any pages that you mention, manage. In addition, encourage you to join the conversation in the comments section. At this point, I'm going to turn it over and welcome Michael O'Neill to the program. David, uh, one second. Okay. Yes. All right, David. Yes. Hi, here I am. Uh, All right, Michael. So I have the privilege of uh, working with Michael O'Neill, both, well, for for actually quite a long time as Green Party organizers. Uh, He was instrumental in the Stein Baraka campaign. He's been at uh, the helm as executive producer of this program since its inception, you know, I've had a lot of conversations. I've enticed him to actually come in front of the camera this time because I want him to be participating with us on this program. Because again, on this program, we're going to be looking at the midterm elections. Michael, I want to start by talking about some Green Party successes. I think you've got arguably the biggest Green Party success for November 2018. Take it away. Well, David, first of all, thank you. I mean, that's very flattering. Uh, we held the line here in New York State, and that's important. Uh, there's many millions of people in New York State who will have the opportunity to vote for Greens in local elections and for president in, in, in two years because we met that minimum threshold we you know blew past it actually we blew past that minimum threshold of 50,000 votes to keep our ballot line as a ballot recognized party in New York state and credit goes to Howie Hawkins and Gia Lee our fearless candidates for governor and lieutenant governor this is the third time that Howie has put the party on his back in New York and campaigned to first in 2010 he regained ballot status for us after we hadn't had it in almost a decade. And then he sustained that uh, in 2014 and now again this year. I don't think the Green Party has been able to keep ballot recognition in New York State for three successive terms. So it's a, a great achievement. And of course, it's an achievement for all the Greens and all the allies who supported this campaign and who voted for Howie and Gia last week. So I want to actually push you a little bit, Michael O'Neill, to ask what do you think were the things that made that possible? Because let's remember mm-hmm. that this election cycle, uh, Howie Hawkins did not have the opportunity to debate on television uh, Cuomo. So you and I were talking about this. We were pretty afraid of not meeting that threshold, weren't we? Absolutely. It was not guaranteed. I had a hypothesis going into this year based on the votes that we got for U.S. Senate and for president two years ago, I suspected that because we got about 100,000 votes for our U.S. Senate candidate and for Jill Stein, respectively, in New York two years ago. And I had a hypothesis that that 100,000 people or at least some subset of 100,000 voters in New York state would vote green during the general election and that that's our base. 
And we some evidence has borne that out. When the absentee ballots will be counted, we'll have gotten about 100,000 votes. Now, that was a hypothesis, but it was by no means guaranteed. There were so many conditions that were different this year than four years ago or in 2010. As you mentioned, we did not get a debate with Governor Cuomo on TV. We didn't get a debate with Governor Cuomo at all. Four years ago, there was the... Uh, look, I'm just going to say it. There was the sheepdog of Zephyr Teachout, who some of our listeners across the country might recognize as sort of a progressive leading light. Uh, but this year, we had Cynthia Nixon, a bona fide movie star and television star and celebrity and multimillionaire. And there was the whole blue wave phenomenon. There is this, you know, everyone who wanted to vote against Trump by voting Democrat for Cuomo. Cuomo spent the entire election running against Donald Trump as opposed to anyone else. So all of those factors, um, you know, the factors of the left and how different socialist groups aligned themselves with Democrat candidates uh, at different times as opposed to others. Um, you know, Howie is a retired Teamster. He's a member of several national socialist organizations. He's been a dedicated socialist his entire life. Um, we got the endorsement of, of uh, Socialist Alternative for the general election, but not, uh, but it came, you know, pretty, it came later. It came after the primary as November was approaching. And so anyway, a lot of factors there that did not, um, bode well for us going into election day. And so it's a great relief. I, I don't want to short sell us by saying that we just endured, but in enduring in these conditions was an accomplishment. I got to tell you, Michael O'Neill, I am going to tell you this, the same thing. And I want uh, viewers to think about this. I think the fact that the green party exists is actually a big deal. In other words, it's not just that the system is designed to prevent our success. When you consider the draconian ballot access requirements, when you consider the incredible corrupt nature of uh, the voting system that forces people to vote against candidates that they hate rather than for the ones they want because of this first-past-the-post system, when you think about how racist criminal justice system is actually used to disenfranchise uh uh, mostly black and brown young people uh, who uh, are prevented from voting in most states in this country. When you consider the horrific corporatized media, when you consider the fact that most of what passes for political discourse are 30-second ads that are full of sound and fury signifying nothing, when you think about the entire package of things that are lined against us, Michael O'Neill, I'll tell you this. This system is not just to prevent designed to prevent our success, it's literally designed to prevent our existence. So the fact that the Green Party exists and actually continues to elect people uh, across the country at the local level and run bona fide eco-socialist at the state and even federal level is, in fact, a testament to that we're doing something right. There is no other left electoral presence across the board the way there is for the Green Party. None. Yeah, I mean, just even just the pay to play media, right? Even just the, the corporate media and, and struggling to get any coverage during the election. And you know, how he ran a legit statewide campaign with, uh, you know, textbook press, press conferences and media events and policy papers and campaign appearances across the state. And now outside of New York City, we do pretty well in the media. Uh, you can count on at least 
one of the local TV stations and maybe the NPR station to come out and cover things. But New York City, it is uh, such a brutally dismissive environment, number one, of anyone who apparently isn't a millionaire running for office, and two, anyone who is coming from outside of New York City. Right. And so there's a lot happening there. And then in New York State, you have an additional or not unique, but uh, a special feature of the way the two party system. If you're not paying attention, I want you to lean in here because I think Michael O'Neill is going to go where most greens dare not go. Are you going to talk about the Working Families Party, Michael O'Neill? There's lots of Greens who will bash the Working Families Party. (laughs) There's no shortage of New York State Greens who will bash the Working Families Party because they're terrible. They are (laughs) a they're a con. And so you've got the Working Families Party, which propped up Cynthia Nixon. They, you know, nominated her. She was, you know, she was on their ballot line, theoretically, but really, it was just to provide a, a wing for her within the Democratic primary and get all the the progressives excited that there was the prospect of this person who was very much not Andrew Cuomo in a lot of ways that mattered. And then when she was crushed in the Democratic primary, she, and she was crushed. Absolutely. And. When she was crushed, she then did not want to run in the general election. She signaled early on that she would not run in the general election, even though she was put on a party's ballot in a state convention. And so then the Working Families Party had to go through the uh, bureaucratic torture and the torture of its members to remove them from her their ballot line and then endorse Andrew Cuomo. And all of this turns into fodder for the media. They love talking about the contortions of the Working Families Party and the palace intrigue there. And, and you know, will they or won't, won't they get an endorsement with Cuomo? It provides them with something to talk about when there is really not a competitive race between the Republican and the Democrat in the general election. But... You had the Working Families Party nominate Cuomo's, right, breaks the heart of all the progressives who put in time, energy, donations to the Nixon campaign, and then they can't even bring themselves to say Andrew Cuomo's name when they're asking people to vote on the Working Families Party line in the general election. So they put out these videos. Cynthia Nixon put out a video, and uh, and then... Um, Jamani Williams, the lieutenant governor candidate that they nominated, and Alyssa Milano, even the you know progressive Twitter celebrity, all talking about how progressives need to vote their values by voting up and down the Working Families Party line, top to bottom. But they never actually would say Cuomo's name. They couldn't bring themselves to do it. But they wanted progressives and leftists to bring themselves to vote for corrupt Andrew Cuomo. And but if you if you do it on the Working Families Party line, then he'll know that, you know, your vote matters because you are voting your value that, you know, you, you don't agree with his corrupt practices and all the things that we said about him. But really, he, you're just telling him exactly how many votes that he can take for granted, exactly how right. many progressives I mean, won't break wanna, the Democrats. I want to dive in here, folks, because in electoral politics, if you get taken for granted, you've just been taken. And the Working Families Party is literally facilitating you as a voter to get taken for granted by the corporate Democrats. Now, 
Uh, Michael O'Neill, you mentioned Alyssa Milano. Uh, given that you had an attorney general candidate, uh, Eric Snyderman, who had allegations of sexual violence, uh, how does that square? I mean, did Alyssa Milano uh, circle back and say, I made a mistake? Uh, well, how did that play out in New York State? Let me give some context. So Eric Schneiderman, uh, he left office in May or he, you know, Basically, the, the allegations against him came out in May of this year. Now, in April of this year, the Working Families Party endorsed Schneiderman. So up to a month before he was exposed, this bastion of progressive values had endorsed, and this was not the first time they'd endorsed, this uh, apparently serial sexual harasser and, uh, and abuser. And Alyssa Milano, uh, who has, you know, have been a very vocal voice as part of the Me Too movement and who in her endorsement of voting your values on the Working Families Party line talked about the need to fight against uh, patriarchy and sexual abuse and sexual harassment. But she still wanted people to support a party which who up until even a month before he was exposed were endorsing and supporting a, a serial uh, harasser and ab- abuser. And, you know, every Democrat who has been led away from state office in handcuffs in in the last however many years were Working Families Party endorsees, Sheldon Silver, uh, to, to name one. He was endorsed multiple times by the Working Families Party. and But they claimed that, oh, we changed the state government with the Democrats that were sending to Albany, and the song remains the same. I'm going to conclude this observation about New York State. That I'm a bitter, jaded old man? Is that that the conclusion here? Because that's how I feel sometimes when I hear myself talk about it. But I I don't think I'm wrong, but but yes. No, here's the thing. Like, I, I think that what we have to recognize is that unless and until there is a commitment to genuine independent politics, and by independent, I mean independent money from the corporate Democrats and independent from the Democratic Party leadership and all of its penumbras uh, that we're actually just, it's a shell game. The whole thing is just a friggin' shell game because there is this idea that, well, you have to stick with the Democrats so you can get up next to them uh, and, and have their ear. But let's be honest, all you're getting actually is access to the VIP lounge. All you're getting is access uh, to being able to be at some like you get to sit at the table, but you don't get to make any decisions. So to me, the 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 takeaway from Working Families Party is unless you're actually willing to challenge the corporate money within the Democratic Party, it's all pablum. And I do want to actually take this moment to actually talk about. Uh, some of the victory, some of the other victories of Green Party successes. And while I do it, I want to remind you, the viewer listener, you're watching, if you're watching live on uh, Facebook live stream, if you have any comments or questions, please drop them in. Also make sure to share this page on your own personal page and any page you might manage. If you are listening to us on a podcast, we want to thank you for that. Make sure to share this podcast and everyone should go to the website, agreenwayforward.org, uh, and write in. 
couple of other big successes happened in Michigan and Massachusetts, where we retained ballot lines. Uh, I also want to lift up both Kenneth Mejia and Rodolfo Cortez Berrigan, who actually did exceptionally well in runs for Congress. Kenneth Mejia got over 25,000 votes for Congress, over 25%. Uh, uh, Rodolfo got almost that many, 22%. Uh, looks like he'll be coming up right at around 20,000 votes in that race. So I uh, really want to lift up Kenneth and Rodolfo and also hundreds of races where we continue to win. Do you know, folks, that over a third of all the Greens who who ran in 2018 won and over half of those who ran in local races won? Uh, so, you know, the, the amount of uh, victories at the local level continue to come in. Lauren actually asked, okay, genuine independent politics. Yes, but how? I've got some thoughts, Michael O'Neill, but I want to give you the, the mic and see if you've got any response to Lauren. Well, David, it just I want to bookmark that I would love to talk about some of the progressive Greens who were elected and, and you know what you know of their candidacies. But in terms of responding to Lauren's question, we coming out of this election, uh, Howie, our candidate for governor, actually had a, a great message for Greens and in talking about some of the things that we need to focus on. And I agree with much of it, if not all of it. And I think that we need to um, we need to not just chase the mobilizations that are being put out by progressive groups, uh, you know, come to this rally, go to that rally, go to this forum. We need to start organizing our own events of those kinds to try to make space where the assumption is not that just that everyone's a Democrat and thinks that Democrats can solve our problems. I think that um, we need to focus on building our own organizing skills. We need more greens who can take those skill positions of fundraising, uh, technical online work and graphic design work, who know how to manage volunteers, who, who know more than just how to stand on a street corner and hand out flyers. We need people to hand out flyers, but more importantly, to get signups of people. But we need people to fill those roles in campaigns, most of the time on a volunteer basis, where it, like it's not something that you're just going to pick up immediately. We need experienced greens to be able to fill uh, those roles. We need a, a deeper bench there. I, I'm thinking of them as skill positions, David, if that's not too vulgar of a sports no. metaphor. Um like the the people who can who can do campaign finance compliance, and so, uh, yeah, you know, Michael, I agree with everything that you're saying, and I'm gonna in public uh, on this live stream actually uh, put out a challenge to you. I think you should offer some webinars. I think you should actually uh, put yourself out there to offer to teach some of these skilled positions because I happen to know that you've got a pretty significant skill set around a lot of these. So rather than just saying that that's a need that we have, I'm going to flip the script on you and say, yes, and you ought to help make it happen. Well, yes, David, that is a great idea. And uh, yes, I absolutely have great intentions and ambitions for trying to spread what I've had the opportunity to, to pick up and to make a platform for other people who have similar skills or related skills uh, to also be able to spread what they know. The knowledge is in the party, but it needs to be disseminated. And we need Greens who are willing to commit themselves to learning new things and to working hard to practice those things and then implement them in the context of a campaign, which can be a, 
a high pressure environment. Like I get why greens shy away from that. It's, it's a lot to ask, but it's necessary. It's so vitally necessary. So, uh, Lauren, again, the genuine independent politics, how is you actually do it? And I often tell people, you know how you get ready to do something you're not ready to do? Answer, you just do it. And I, that's not me being flipped. That is the reality is that you build capacity by struggle. And, you know, I want to circle back to Michael O'Neill's sort of question about some of the Greens that did get elected and what that means. I want to lift up Leslie Castellano here in Eureka, California, the county seat of Humboldt County. Uh, you know, we in Humboldt County are, uh, have won a lot of elections in the college town, Arcata, California, a home of Humboldt State University. We were famously the first, Arcata was the first Green Party majority of any city council in the country. Uh, so we've won city council races there. We've won uh, school board races there. I want to lift up Dana Silvernail, who has won and then won re-election to the school board multiple times in that era, in this area. Uh, we've won soil and conservation district. We've won water district. We've won community services districts. We've won a lot in that college town. Eureka is the working class community. Uh, it's the county seat. We've never won an election here. We actually won uh, crushing a make Eureka great again, basically Donald Trump Jr. against the Democratic Party leadership. And one of the ways that happened, Michael, I'm really excited to say we built a genuine progressive coalition. The Central Labor Council broke from the Democratic Party, joined the Greens. We created the North Coast People's Alliance where progressive Democrats and Greens and socialists and independents were able to work together. We created an actual functional coalition of progressives that included Democrats, uh, including some members of the Democratic Party running for local nonpartisan races that were part of a slate. So there is something to uh, – I believe you let a 100 experimental flowers bloom, right? Like we should actually try a bunch of different things. Uh, and I'm telling you one way to do independent politics is to say, I am willing to consider an endorsement of a Democrat in a nonpartisan race if they will meet this condition, if they will pledge not to seek or accept corporate money. And that, to me, is a way, is a way to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's one thing to mouth progressive uh, words, but if you're still taking corporate money, I can't trust you. If you promise not to solicit or accept corporate money, I may think you're making a mistake by being in the Democratic Party, but I still think I can trust you as a progressive. What do you think about that approach, Michael O'Neill? Well, what would be interesting to me is, is really getting an outline, and maybe we can do this on a future show, or maybe we have the time to do it here, is what are the conditions that are necessary to replicate the experiment in Humboldt in other places? So it sounds like, for one, nonpartisan elections – seems like a if not a requirement something that's strongly suggested for for what you're implementing there and and just to give a shout out that i mean what you're doing in Hubble county is in some respects a an evolution of what was tried in the richmond progressive alliance which some of yes. our viewers might be familiar with and so like what would you say but, are the top but, three but things to name it yeah the, yeah. the North Coast People's Alliance and the Humboldt Experiment is actually centering the Green Party. With all okay. due respect to the Richmond Progressive Alliance, they basically – there is no 
uh, Green Party in Richmond now, they got completely subsumed. We're actually trying to retain the Green Party's position within that larger structure. Okay. So what what are some what are what are you doing right in terms of either the structure of the organization or just your strategy within how you work within it to make sure that the green party is centered in it or at least not being digested into the you know vast progressive democratic complex so here is here is something that didn't just happen uh but is a delineation uh, the creation of an independent expenditure political action committee that made a commitment early on to say this political action committee will not soli- will, will not support any candidate for office who has not been endorsed by the Central Labor Council, which is, of course, organized labor and the North Coast People's Alliance and the Green Party of Humboldt County. So the Green Party of Humboldt County's endorsement is actually a requirement uh, to get the support of this uh, independent expenditure coalition. So that's number one. One uh, B associated with that, Michael O'Neill, you pay attention. You're a, a political strategist. What political organization is not mentioned in that? Uh, the Democratic Party is a glaring omission. Right. And so, like, again, like that's a that's a layup, which are, you know, a softball that you knocked out of the park, of course. But I want you and I want people who are watching a green way forward to let that sink in. We are literally engaging independently of the Democratic Party local leadership with organized labor. And let me tell you, local Democratic Party leadership are freaking the fuck out like. And like they are really concerned, Michael, because they are seeing what they thought was a guaranteed uh, joint at the hip between labor and the Democratic Party showing signs of political independence. And I think uh, that that's because, frankly, we've been willing to say if there is a genuine progressive Democrat willing to reject corporate money that we in the Green Party are willing to endorse them in a local nonpartisan race. In other words, we are not sectarian greens. We are willing to be flexible. So how were you able to get the Central Labor Council to come around to that agreement? I mean, is there anything unique or any sort of pre-existing organizing that was in place to get them to that position because I can an excellent question. And the short answer is yes. And that pre-existing thing, and I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but the work that I had done in the local community organizing through democracy unlimited of Humboldt County, uh, I was known as a green very, very clearly and obviously, and never flinched by the way, including when they would good naturedly and sometimes not so good naturedly tell me to quit the greens and come over to the Democrats over the last 15, uh, 20 years. But the thing is, Democracy Unlimited of Humboldt County as an organization and the Green Party as a political formation showed up at Democratic Party efforts. In other words, when there was a rally for a living wage, any rally that the Central Labor Council called, we showed up. Um, uh, uh, we showed up at the, the Labor Temple, not just at rallies, but we went to events and we hosted our own events in their hall. So they actually, we have a long history, uh, uh, at least some Greens, of actually working with them on their issues. And again, Michael, it's back to your classic organizing structure. 
We weren't just mobilizing people. We were building relationship over the last decade with organized labor, and it paid off. I think, you know, how the Green Party can strategically make inroads with the labor power structure, I think, would be a great thing to discuss in a future episode, either just diving even deeper into your experiences or bringing on a guest who can, you know, add to what you're talking about. In the Hawkins campaign, you know, we had the endorsement of the Buffalo uh, Teachers Federation and, uh, and they, they endorsed us four years ago. There were some other, a couple other locals, union locals, teachers who endorsed us four years ago, but didn't show up this year. Uh, but, but we haven't had that kind of penetration at like the regional level, although maybe some local candidates here in Syracuse have been able to get an endorsement. But you know, Michael, I do want to make sure that we cover a couple yeah, of other things of because a lot has happened, yeah. uh, you know, since the midterm uh, election. Uh, and one of those things is Jeff Sessions. Yeah, Jeff Sessions. Well, I mean, he's he's out. And that is a, a source of a lot of consternation for a lot of progressives. And it puts leftists and progressives in the really peculiar position of being against the dismissal of a white supremacist uh, from our so attorney can, general can we just stop for a moment and say, in yeah. what universe, in what universe is it that the dismissal of a, a explicit known white supremacist neo-confederate actually getting dismissed is a bad thing. Yeah. This is this is bizarro world. Well, this is what Trump does to us. And well, this is what the right wing does every time, which is that it makes liberals and progressives pine for the good old days of two years ago or four years ago or however long it was when a Democrat was in office. When you could when you could rely on a polite neoliberal to crack down on whistleblowers and protesters, but, but do it with a smiling face, you know? Um, but when you have an actual overt white supremacist in office, like, um, you know, then it, it makes two years ago seem amazing. But, but that's a trap, right? We can't allow the duopoly parties, the monopoly of the Democrats and Republicans to constantly lower our expectations from term to term. And yet move on is breathless in its in its call to defend sessions. Right. And they probably would say and there are a lot of progressives who are saying, well, we're not defending sessions. We're trying to protect Robert Mueller. We're trying to protect the Mueller investigation. But even then, you're talking about the former director of, of the FBI, the good people doing good things who tried to get Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself. Uh, and Robert Mueller, also an accessory to the war crime of the invasion of Iraq for propagating patently false lies about Iraq supposedly having weapons of mass dis- destruction. Um, but you know, just getting back to Sessions for a moment, uh, I think the, the tweet of the week was from Clint Smith Third, Clint Smith III on Twitter saying, Jeff Sessions is the only Confederate monument Trump was willing to take down. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, that was Clint Smith, you said? Clint Smith III on Twitter. Clint Smith III. Michael, I think that the, a Greenway Forward might start having to have some sort of tweet of the week, uh, like because that basically won Twitter as far for the week, as far as I'm concerned. That's the, uh, I know that Twitter is a platform of snark, 
But that's the funniest left snark I, I've heard all week. Yeah. And there were actual events on Facebook from indivisible groups and other groups saying, like, rally to protect Sessions. Like, some were even going into that line of, of saying – and then, then my little snarky comment to Facebook was that the same people who tell you that a vote for Jill Stein is a vote for Donald Trump will tell you that we're not trying to uh, – defend Jeff Sessions, we are opposing his replacement. Like, we're, we're not defending him, we're opposing replacing him. And this is the liberal pretzel logic yeah, that I mean, you get. You have to contort yourself in a way that would make a yogi master blush with envy to actually come up with, with this sort of nonsense. I want to be clear. I do believe that we should be opposing Trump's abuse of power but I don't think that we should be falling for this liberal fantasy of some sort of past that never was. The Democratic Party is the champion because this Democratic Party resistance, I've just about had it. I don't know about you, Michael O'Neill, but if I hear one more Democratic Party partisan talking about the resistance, I, it might just lose my lunch. For, for me, one of the things that was most galling was – and I'm going to actually read – a text that I received because I, like you, am on a lot of lists. Hey, David, I'm blank, volunteering with the campaign to win Medicare for all. Now that the Democrats have won control of the House, for the first time ever, passing Medicare for all is within sight. End text. This is outrageous when you consider that the Democratic Party has multiple times had majorities in the House. It's outrageous when you consider that in the state of California, when the Democratic Party had control of the House and the Senate at the state level, but there was a Republican in the governor's mansion, they were able to get the state version of Medicare for all passed. But now that they control all three uh, bodies, they can't even get it out of committee. So pardon me if I say take a big rolling F at a rolling donut when you tell me that we can expect any kind of resistance from the Democratic Party. Michael O'Neill, am I going too far? No, but what's what's nagging me is what is the frame that we can put forward that opposes Trump's abuse of power without casting the existing or pre-existing national security state as something that we that progressives or leftists should rely on or could ever rely on? Like, what do we put so forward, or do we just not prioritize that? We just work on the million other things that we want, um, like universal health care, like free college, and let the, the Democrats and the so-called hashtag resistance um, do their rallies for members of the, of the power structure. So I guess what I would say is this, that, that I don't think it's an either or. I actually do think that we should be in the streets anytime people are in the streets, right? Like I think that that – I'm a movement person, first and foremost. A, a lot of people give me grief, Michael, because I'm not a sectarian Green Party member. I'm a revolutionary. I straight up want to restructure society. And I think that there is a role for electoral politics to play in that. And I think that we as Greens actually should be unabashed eco-socialists calling for a deep uh, restructuring of society that is based on deep ecology as well as our socialist understanding of economics which is to say, I think we do actually join in the call uh, for uh, opposition to Trump, even as we say the neoliberal Democratic Party created the conditions for which Donald Trump 
uh, was able to come into existence. So I actually think there is a way to do that. It's, I don't think it's overly nuanced to actually say that the corporate Democrats uh, and the corporate Republicans are in fact supporters of empire, capitalism, white supremacy, and patriarchal uh, oppressive uh, power structures. And we're calling to dismantle and restructure the whole thing. And that's a position I feel comfortable not only taking on this program, but I'll tell you, Michael O'Neill, I can go into any pool hall or bowling alley uh, in, uh, in this country and have that basic conversation. It is hard to fit on a poster, though, David. <laughs> Your point is well taken. And I guess what I'm saying is that I don't think that we can reduce what we're actually trying to do onto mere posters. It's beyond sloganeering. And I'm going to actually put the words, uh, your words back on you and say, that's because real organizing is about building relationships, which requires investing time and energy in ordinary people to help them make their lives better and having an analysis of power. We can't actually win by just mobilizing people any more than we can win by fitting it down onto a bumper sticker or a poster. I think we're going to have to to be continue this because, I mean, bumper stickers and posters do matter, right? Like having a, a sort of a, a message that we can broadcast at scale is an is a part of the puzzle. Now, it's a piece of the puzzle that we've been overly focused on up to this point. I completely agree with that. But like after we've had that conversation with people or a series of conversations, when we go to the rally together, how do we then try so here to... Is, yeah. Here is an effort to actually boil it down to a slogan or a bumper sticker or a poster. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your vote on the corporate parties. Invest your votes in movements for change. That That's a... That's maybe a little bit longer uh, than a button, a lapel button, but don't waste your vote, invest your vote, I think, is something I wish more Greens would say. Absolutely. Um, I I think it it gets trickier with these individual cases like sessions or, you know, rallies to protect Mueller and things like that. Um, But that's just something we're going to have to blaze a trail on uh, as we move forward. I think that's right. And Michael, listen, I have enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking at the time and realize that we have actually blazed through uh, our normal time. I do want to let viewers know that Michael O'Neill and I are going to spend uh, the next, the the end of this year sort of thinking about how to make a green way forward the most helpful to you, the viewer. We want to engage people. so we'll be rolling out uh, a survey. We'll be rolling out a couple of different questions to you. So you can drop them in the comments here, uh, but we'll be doing it in a more systematic and routinized way. But, for example, is this back and forth with Michael and I the way to go? Should I just rant uh, and then take questions from you? Did you like the interviews from movement people? Did you like the interviews from Green Party candidates? Uh, do you like the... Gloria Matera, who is the co-chair of the Green Party of the United States, coming on to answer your questions. So what we're interested in doing is asking you, the viewer, how you think this program could be most helpful and effective. Uh, What are you liking? What are you not liking about this program? Uh, Michael O'Neill, I do want to give you an opportunity for any final thoughts before we close out. Sure. 
some of the things I'm interested in hearing from folks who are watching this is, are there particular issues that you would like to see a, a deep dive on from either an expert or a series of expert interviews? Are you interested in seeing more of a window into the process of campaigning and organizing and, and the, the actual life of maintaining or building the Green Party and getting a sense of that? And all, of course, if there are any particular people who we haven't had on yet who you think it would be, would be great to have on, we would love those suggestions, especially if you can help put us in touch with those folks. And yeah. Yeah, yes. and so I will just close out by saying a big thank you uh, uh, to uh, Dee, who has already written in to suggest Peter Phillips, uh, who is the founder of Project Censored and has written a fantastic new book uh, on the global uh, ruling elite. Uh, Peter's a personal friend, so I can just about guarantee you that at some point we are going to have uh, Peter Phillips on. But I really appreciate, Michael, the the, the sort of window or the menu, really, of different uh, uh, options that you uh, put forward. And, folks, what we're going to do, Michael and I are going to spend a little time figuring out a survey instrument to ask you. We'll put it on a greenwayforward.org. Uh, we'll uh, figure out other ways to distribute that to you because we do want to continue to use a Greenway Forward. Uh, not just, like, it'll be clear, folks, we're not just cheerleading the Green Party. We do believe that Michael and I are eco-socialists. Uh, we are revolutionaries. We want to restructure society. We do believe that there is a role for electoral politics. It's not the end-all, be-all, but there is a role for electoral politics. Michael and I believe that the Green Party is the best current opportunity to use radical electoral politics for transformational change. But I'll just speak for myself now, folks. If some new phenomenon emerges that actually looks like it has the core principles and values of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. I don't really care about the label so much as I care about winning a new society. With that, I want to thank all of you for participating in this conversation. Remember to share this on your own Facebook page. Uh, remember uh, to go to a greenwayforward.org and sign up. And don't forget, keep on keeping on. Peace. A Greenway Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive.